Hey, welcome to Tales from the Chalkline. I am your host, Anne Schwartz. Thank you so much for all of the like positive feedback on the Lilani episode. I really enjoyed it, too. This week, we talked to Moses Rifkin, who wrote a super awesome social justice curriculum for physics, and I will talk more about that in a moment. But before that happens, this week's syllabus. First off, there are a million things to listen to this week because I have been on summer vacation. So, you know, I listen while I clean or I listen while I run and pretend that I run. And I listen while I quilt because that I actually do do. The running might be an exaggeration. But I've been listening to lots of podcasts. So here are four things you should listen to. First, Jen's History of Education podcast. Jen and I have been friends on Twitter for a long time. It's Jen Binnis. Probably said that wrong. B-I-N-I-S. J-E-N-N-B-I-N-I-S. If you're looking for her on Twitter. Uh, Her dress code episode is killer. Um, Yeah. Two. NPR's Code Switch podcast. In the first episode, they talk about unpacking the invisible knapsack, which Moses and I talk about in this episode. So cross-promotion. Hey, NPR Code Switch. I'll promote you. You promote me and we'll be good. It's not going to happen, but I will promote them anyway. Also, uh, if you know me, you know I am obsessed with politics. And Radiolab started a podcast called More Perfect that's about the Supreme Court. And it is so interesting. Oh, my God, you guys, it's so interesting. Will someone go listen to it so we can talk about it? Cool, thanks. Lastly, it might have been last week's episode of This American Life called Call Me Fat that has Lindy West and Roxane Gay, who are two of my favorite authors. I think I have recommended Lindy West's book here. If I haven't recommended Roxane Gay's book, Bad Feminist, It is amazing, and I love it. So last thing on your syllabus is to read. You should read Hillary Clinton's letter on The Toast. If you didn't read the website The Toast, it's a really good space, and it just closed down this week. And on its last day, Hillary Clinton wrote them a letter, and I just want to read this paragraph to you. As we look back on what this site meant to so many of you, I hope you'll look forward and consider how you might make your voice heard in whatever arenas matter most to you. Speak your opinions more fervently in your classes if you're a student or at meetings in your workplace. Proudly take credit for your ideas. Have confidence in the value of your contributions. And if the space you're in doesn't have room for your voice, don't be afraid to carve out a space of your own. You never know. You might be the next Nicole Cliffy, Mallory Orderberg, or Nikki Chung. Those are the women who run the toast. This hit a little close to home this week. Um, I had a disagreement on Twitter, which is not to say that I don't have lots of disagreements on Twitter, because I do, um, where I got told that maybe I should try to expand Chalkline so it was not just my opinion. And I have two sort of quick responses to that. The first is, this is my space on the internet. It's not yours. It's mine. Um, And I will do with it as I please. And if you don't want to listen, I'm okay with that. If it feels like I'm repeating the same things or I'm having guests that you're not interested in, that's okay. You don't have to listen. I'm okay with that. Um, The second piece is I'm trying to make a space where we can talk about education. And currently I am mostly talking to my friends. And those are the people that I can get on this podcast. Now, Many of these friends I've never spoken to before, so I have lots of genuine interest and genuine questions. If you feel as though I am having a guest on the podcast and you 
think I didn't ask them a question that you're super interested in hearing from them about, I am 100% interested to hear that. I'm also interested to hear of guests that you want to hear on the podcast, and especially if you're willing to do the work to get them. So if you have a friend that you think would be spectacular on this podcast, someone who has a different viewpoint on education than me, or more specifically, someone whose viewpoint is outside of the straight white norm, straight white women particularly, we tend to, you know, dominate in the educational field. We have the most voices and whatnot. If you have friends or people who are doing things that are doing that work and you want their voices heard here, set it up. I'm willing to take that. But I will say that this is still my corner of the internet and what I think is important is what ends up on the podcast. And today what is important is Moses Rifkin. And guys, talking to Moses was fun. You can hear the joy in my voice and the laughter. He made me laugh several times. There was some stuff that I had to cut for time. I managed to make this episode just over an hour, which if you saw the original tape, is probably pretty impressive. Moses is kind and funny and soft-spoken. I think the people who continually tell me I'm too loud are the same people who probably tell Moses that he's too quiet. He speaks well and is trying to do the work. Um, He and I would both probably say that we're doing our best for the kids that we have in the space that we have. But if you have feedback... For me, or on particularly on Moses's uh, social justice curriculum that is really cool, um, this blog is a good place to put that. Uh, but have an excellent 4th of July, and I hope that yours is filled with food and fireworks and family. Welcome to Tales from the Chalk Line. Do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do. Who are you and what are your preferred pronouns? My name is Moses Rifkin and I prefer he and him. And where are you and what does your classroom look like? I'm in Seattle. I've lived here for 11 years and my classroom right now looks super clean because we just finished our school year uh, about a week ago. Uh, I think, what does it look like? There are um, five tables with four chairs, so we do things in little little pods. Uh, There's a lot of student work on the walls and uh, hanging from the ceiling, which is something I really enjoy about the room. What's your school like? Boy, there are a lot of ways to answer that. Uh, (laughs) It's a private school. It's it's 6 through 12, and I I work in the upper school, so there are about um, 80 kids per per graduating class or so, so it's on the small side. Um, I teach uh, both ninth and 12th grade physics there. Uh, Classes are around 18 students. Um, What it's like, most, it's pretty, you know, the name of the school, can I say the name of the school? I don't know, it's up to you. That's sort of my deal. I don't think it's a big deal. Yeah, I don't think it's a big deal either, and and the internet is, makes me easy to find. Right. Um, It's called university prep, and I think uh, all of our students are college bound, and and that certainly certainly shapes the school's culture. in a pretty, pretty strong way, but it's, I like to think it's a really, uh, humane prep school. I think there's a lot of stuff that doesn't really fit university prep as a name that, that I'm really proud of at the school. Um, but it's hard to describe what the school is like. Uh, you said humane prep school. What do you mean by that? What do I mean by that? The stuff that I really care about really doesn't have a lot to do with getting kids into, into a prestigious college. So, um, the mission statement of our school is uh, 
I don't remember the full thing, but it involves phrases like intellectually courage, intellectually courageous, socially responsible citizens of the world. So those feel like really important things to me that, that are, um, not really tied to getting into college per se. Um, right. So that's, that's kind of what I mean. Uh, there was a, I went to a PD with Alfie Cohen a couple of years ago, the big mm-hmm. uh, private school association in the Pacific Northwest brought him in and he started by asking teachers, like, what's the one, the single criteria that you care most about? And uh, one of my colleagues and I both turned to each other and said kindness. And I think that's, that's something that's, that's present at our school. Uh, it can that's be a lovely. kind place. Yeah. Yeah. So that's kind of what I mean by humane. Yeah. I hear that. Did you te- have you taught there your whole career? How long have you been teaching? I've been I've been teaching for fifteen years. Um, I've been teaching in private schools my whole career, right out of college. Um, but I taught at a school in Boston called the Cambridge School of Weston for four years, and then I moved out to Seattle. Um, and it wasn't so much that I sought out university prep in particular, um, but it was a good fit for me when I came. And and it's yeah, it's changed a lot in eleven years. Uh, one would hope. Of, one would hope. Yeah, exactly. Um, before I ask you all these questions, I was reading your university prep sort of like a bio thing. And mm-hmm. probably my favorite part of it was when you wrote things Moses enjoys. And one of them was just marriage. Mm. Like, I like, a... I like the fact that you enjoy marriage. Yeah. It felt like I, you know, I don't, I don't have like a Facebook or something that I can update with my life events. So my, my school bio felt like the place where I could like flag. I went through a major life change. So I'll put that on there. How long have you been married? Did you just get married? Three years ago. Uh, coming up on three years. Oh, that's very cool. Congratulations. Thank uh, you. It made me smile. Yeah. Uh, okay. So one of the reasons I wanted to talk to you is because you, I found out about you through John Burke's blog. Mm-hmm. Um, and you wrote this sort of social justice for physics curriculum. Mm-hmm. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, of course. About about the John Burke connection, or yeah, about, about how you met him and how you decided to sort of share this on the internet for the world. Yeah, uh, well, it, it was almost entirely John's doing, and I, I give him just gigantic credit. So I was um, the person who sort of one of the people who organizes our our curriculum school wide uh, was presenting at a conference about um, I think cultural competency in curricula. And so he asked me to appear in a video he was making. And so I spoke a little bit about this curriculum and John happened to be in the audience when this guy showed that video and he's a physics teacher. And I think some of the things I said were exciting to him. So he reached out to me. He, we got to talking. We're totally simpatico. Uh, John is wonderful. John is wonderful. And, and sort of like you were saying before, we've never met in person. We've, we've communicated electronically a ton, but uh, I'm really looking forward to the day that I can actually give him a hug. Uh, yeah, so he reached out and said, I have a blog, and I'd love for you to to guest post on it. And that was cool for me because I've always felt like I was sort of working in uh, isolation a little bit and definitely didn't have any any uh, illusions of grandeur that many people would read it, but thought this would be cool to write about. And uh, so that's where that came from. John John really opened up the space there for me. Um, you were doing an interesting thing on Twitter I saw, asking a kid what it looks like to be a leader. Mm-hmm. What was what was that part of your curriculum? Was that your seniors? Was it your freshmen? What were you that doing? That was um, maybe sort of under the, the, the humane prep school umbrella. Mm-hmm. 
after after the school year ends, the last couple of years, our school has done sort of a, a little one-day academic leadership optional thing for students who want to come to that, um, which I think is super cool. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not the sort of thing that we get to talk about explicitly very often. So they started doing that a couple of years ago, and it's open to juniors and seniors. And this year they had a couple of different options for the kids to, to choose. So, you know, leadership in sports, leadership in student life, and, and the session that I ran was about leadership in, in academics. And what did you guys do? Half an hour. We only had half an hour. So, <laughs> Okay. <laughs> Sorry, that's uh, funny. Yeah, no, it, it is funny. So we didn't do very much uh, no. or we did too much for half an hour. Um, I had them uh, talk to one another about why they chose that session as opposed to some other sessions. And then we did a little sort of brainstorming around I think the thing you saw was how, how leadership in academics is different than being a good academic. Um, right. And then uh, I had them sort of talk through some scenarios that I made up and tried to make really complicated and without uh, a really clear answer. Right. Which is how most group work goes. Exactly. Yeah. I was looking at it and thinking about how to incorporate that something to that extent in next year um, because we run a village model, so our kids stay together all day okay. long. Wow. And they do, like, at minimum, three interdisciplinary projects a year. Okay. Um, not actually math is outside the village, so but with their other classes. I mm -hmm. know, it's an interesting choice, but it's actually the right choice for our school. Okay. <laughs> it works for us. Because, um, because it can live sort of independently? Uh, for two reasons. One is when you look for something to put in the take out of the village, you often take out the elective course. Okay. And that tends to make it less important. Right. Yeah, I totally can see that. Which is just wrong. Um, so our freshman elective, they run a very prescribed curriculum. Our freshman elective is PE. Our sophomore elective is art. Our junior elective is Spanish. And those are things that you actually want within a project mm -hmm. with totally. English and science, right? And we're sort of a science-focused school, so freshman year they do a lot of human body system kind of okay. projects, and sophomore year they do a lot of uh, systems, so mm -hmm. like all sorts of things. And junior year it's more um, culturally based because of the Spanish piece. Okay. Um, I'm in Southern California, so like we are 60% Hispanic. Okay. Um, so anyway... Uh, so math gets sort of removed from the village, which works. But I was reading your thing and I was thinking about how we need to have more conversations about what it looks like to lead a group. Yeah. Or or to be in a group as a non-leader. Right. And to be productive. Yeah. It's, I think the more the more I teach, the more explicitly sort of centering those those things that I just always assumed would take care of themselves feels like this is not only do they not take care of themselves, because I see you shaking your head. No, they don't. Uh, they don't take care of themselves at all. But it feels like uh, a very, like, it, it's it's got everything. It's got, like, it's useful for the students, and it's going to change the world if they could be better group work members. And, and yeah, it's really exciting to think about that. And they're high-level skills. Yeah. Like, we we ask our ninth graders to get in a group of four and do something without mm -hmm. explaining to them what it looks like to be a productive group member. Right. And we do yeah. a, a lot of very focused work on that in math class about mm -hmm. what it looks like to be a productive group member within our math class. Mm -hmm. But I don't know that that's going out into these sort of bigger projects. Mm. 
That would be really interesting if, if just to see if there's some transfer outside. One would hope, but we do. We hope, but we're not. We're not there yet. Yeah. We're only three years old. Yeah. So we do, we do a, a big. Uh, it's not really interdisciplinary, although it is sort of implicitly building on a unit that the ninth graders do around public speaking. Um, we do a renewable energy quarter-long group project with the ninth graders uh, in the physics class, and just you know. Every year we do it and look at the feedback from the kids. It's clear that the content is super cool and like well, well connected to real life things for these kids. But the group work that their their groups either like succeed or fail based on the quality of their group work. Uh, so I think each year that that goes each year that we do that, it's more and more like we are now going to explicitly talk about what makes this what's going to set you up for success or what's going to set you up for failure. Um, and they, they know, but, but actually doing those things is it's hard. tough. And the it's group, super hard. And they expect that the group work, I think as adults, you're talking about you teach physics, at least at first, the way you were taught physics, right? Mm-hmm. And we expect group work will just be the way that we did group work. And when I did group work, it was bad. Mm-hmm. It's like one kid did all the work. Yep. Yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. Uh, I think I don't remember if I did all the work, but I was definitely bossy about it. I'm mm-hmm. sure. <laughs> well, I mean, that's, I yeah, I find that just so fascinating. Uh, uh, how do I say this? Like, what is bossy in some settings is like great self advocacy in other settings, mm-hmm. and learning to, like learning to navigate that. And should they come to me? Should they not come to me? Uh, it's just it's so juicy. I really like it. Yeah. And I, and I call myself bossy now. As an adult, I can look back and say, like, I definitely, like, knew what I wanted and made it happen. Mm. And that's not a bad skill for a small child to have or no. even a teenager. Totally. That's outstanding. But I was not always kind about it. Yeah. Yeah, that kindness and how, like, this came up in a lot of those scenarios. Like, what are the, what are the motives and intentions that you imagine – your group members have who you're not in there, you know, the people for mm. whose heads you're not in. That's uh, a good question. Yeah. Yeah. It feels that, that feels like the change the world part to me, you know, helping. And it's, this is something I need practice with myself, but helping people remember that, that every other, everyone probably has good intentions, even if they're not, not visibly showing that. Explicitly teaching empathy. Yeah. Which yeah. we don't do a ton of. Right. That's where group work feels like, yeah, group work. Yeah. I always joke that, I mean, I love my school, but in order to stay stay sane, I always have to imagine that everyone is doing as much work as I am, Mm. like in a different way. But like, I always have to imagine that like all the other teachers, whether they go home earlier than me or they come earlier than me or they, Mm -hmm. or they don't have tutorials or they have more tutorials, I have to sort of put in my head that like everyone's doing the same amount of work as me. Cause otherwise I get like grumpy. Right. Yeah. Right. (laughs) Totally. And I consciously think about that throughout the school year. I'm always like, I just imagine everyone is doing as much as I am. Yeah. And that sort of keeps me level. And I think we don't ever talk about those sort of like bigger group work things with kids. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. My version is, remember that what I often think that I have the right answer to things and in groups remembering that that even things that don't seem right to me may be the right answer is that's the little like 
the postcard I need hanging in front of my eyeballs all the time. Like someone else's answer could be equally right or just as good mm-hmm. or even possibly more even right. Even possibly more right. Perish <laughs> <laughs> the thought. Even possibly right. Um, okay, so I'm going to hop back because I, I hopped around. But you put this thing up on John Burke's uh, website and yep. there was quite the uh, outcry of both support and not support for it. Yeah. Um, can you talk a little about what hap- What was like the next thing that happened after yeah. it went up? Uh, the next thing that happened was there was a small, both, both John and I sort of publicized it in our little tiny internet spheres mm-hmm. and uh, there was a small conservative education watchdog um, that I think follows John or just sort of like keeps an eye on him as someone not to be trusted. Uh, and so there was like this little tiny blog post that they wrote about, look at this physics teacher not teaching physics. It was a, it was a critical perspective. Right. Um, and in a way that I hadn't ever really appreciated about the internet, you know, I'd sort of I'd heard that this happens, but yeah. I'd certainly never been involved in that. Um, it went from small to big real, real quick. <laughs> Uh, that little story got picked up by a larger media outlet and then a larger media outlet. Um, and in the course of about a week or so, it went from, you know, appearing on John's blog with a viewership of, I don't know how many, but not, not very big to, um, briefly, but still, still non-zero national news, uh, which was totally surprising. And, uh, yeah, I felt a little bit like the, the country boy, Gets gets brought to the city and realizes that the world is much bigger than than he realized. Yeah, um, you were on Fox News, yes. Not not me, but that when you looked at my school bio, there's a really unfortunate picture of me that they've chosen to use, and uh, <laughs> it's always is right. It, it always is. is. It is, uh, and so that picture was on Fox News along with a lot of uh, snarky derision for the work that I'm doing. Um, it was not a not a flattering reflection of what I had written about. No, of course not, because we wouldn't want to teach the children anything that made them think deeper than focus level than right here. Right. We don't want them to dive. You know, one of the things I can talk about how surprisingly awesome that attention was for me, but um, one of the things that made me really sad is that I, I posted the thing to John's blog because of that isolation, I really wanted feedback. Mm-hmm. You know, I wanted someone to say, "This is a you're on shaky, shaky ground here. This part's really awesome." Um, and I don't think, I don't, I don't discount it out of hand that 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 curriculum is is criticizable. You know, I think mm-hmm. the idea that I should stick to teaching physics is legitimate, even though it wasn't presented. <laughs> in the the most constructive of ways, but it was sad that it so quickly, all the discussion around it quickly went, went totally bipolar. You know, you were either blazingly in favor of everything I do or blazingly against it. Um, That was, again, maybe naive, but that was sad to me. Yeah. I would have been sad too. Yeah. Did you, was your school, how did your school react? Um, this is another place where I feel like my naivete didn't come back to hurt me. Uh, 
I, I first heard about the scope of this when I got a call. This all, this all unfolded over our midwinter break, which is like a five-day weekend. Mm-hmm. Um, I got a call from our head of school, who was in his first year as our head of school, oh, no. saying, uh, so this is big news, uh, and we should figure out how we're going to respond to this. And um, the school, in that phone call, he made it clear that he was thrilled about the work that I was doing mm-hmm. and that it was totally consistent with, with our school's mission and that he and the board um, were ready to stand behind it entirely. Uh, so the school, the school was outrageously, outrageously supportive um, from the top administration down to the students, to the parents. Um, I, I just as a little sidebar, I spoke with another group of physics teachers at another uh, independent school who had, after hearing about this, tried to do their version of the curriculum and, mm-hmm. and just got raked over the coals by their, their administration and their parent uh, body. So I feel like I got really lucky in terms of um, the response that I got. Uh, but the response was really super positive. Yeah. Yeah. Except for the two crazies. Um, I, when I Google your curriculum, right, when I look for it, yeah. there's this insane, and I use the word insane because I don't know how else to describe it. Have you read this one from humanstupidity.com? I think so. Uh, where they're literally linking to how race is, like, different people of different races are good at different things. Yeah. Oh, my God. And I yeah. Just, and, oh, my God, I just... I like read this and I was like, okay, so like I can get behind and I can't get behind it, but I can, I can understand the argument of, I don't want my kid not learning mm-hmm. physics in a physics classroom. I right. cannot get behind the idea that like, actually you believe that white people are smarter. Right. Right. And I, you know, the part, the, the part that kind of breaks my heart is I want to talk I want to talk to those people. I still sort of believe like maybe this is a place where I do think I'm right about that white people aren't actually smarter, but I, I want, I don't want to just sort of yell across the void at each other. I want to actually like meet in the middle and, and try to have some dialogue. Um, but man, it, it didn't, it did not turn out that way. No. And it was sort of amazing because I did some of your curriculum with my students hmm. and I don't know what the makeup of your school is, but my school is 60% Hispanic. And in the mm-hmm. class I taught, that senior class that I teach, because we don't track it all until senior year. And then okay. we let them pick what math class they're going to take. Okay. Because not every kid needs to take AP Calc or AP Stat, but they have to take math. So they yeah. either take AP Calc, AP Stat, or my class, which is called Transition to College Math. Mm, that's awesome. Yeah. And it's a curriculum, but I chose to do one unit. I did a week of your, it was like Mm -hmm. two weeks. Um, And what the kids, the kids truly did not believe that white people were smarter. Like they were Mm -hmm. on board with that. But interestingly, they were not, they were not as like willing to accept that it was the system's fault. Mm Mm-hmm. Which was like super weird to me. There was no doubt in their mind that white people weren't smarter. They were like, no, of course not. Of course white people aren't smarter. Right. Then when I was like, but look at these numbers where like 67% or it was even more. It was like 70% of people getting undergraduate degrees in the STEM field are white men. Right. Something ridiculous. 
and the kids were like, yeah, so? Yeah, so like, like, why is that a bad thing? Or that's just the way the world works? Or I, I think a combo of both. Yeah. Like, a, yeah, that doesn't mean white people are smarter, but also just like, yeah, that's what happens. That's Oof. just how. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, I think I think one of the things that feel really exciting about doing this this curriculum is uh, maybe it's because I'm in STEM, but there are just so few opportunities, even for adults, to talk about about systems and about race and gender. And and I find that one of the places my kids get stuck, and and the same is true when we do adult PD, is just a lack of dexterity talking about it. So like maybe for your students that like, yeah, that's just the way it is. It feels like this giant thing without a foothold. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we kept trying to create footholds and I thought we had gotten there. Like I felt really, you would, I would feel like, okay, so we've got some kind of general footholds and then like something would come up. Um, which one did we read? One of your things was the MIT professor who didn't get tenure. Right. Um, and who legit went on like a hunger strike for tenure. Yeah. Um, and my kids were like, well, I'm sure it's just that he wasn't good enough. Hmm. And I was like, but we talked about like <laughs> all of these other things. And we started with, um, we did the invisible knapsack and we talked about how my score was like a hundred and how their score was like 50. Yeah. And how was that not? And then they were like, yeah, I bet he just wasn't good enough. And I was like, oh, guys, it's, it's a hard, um, it's a hard line for the kids. Have you um, gotten feedback from other teachers who have done stuff with this? Yes, and not as much as I hope to. Um, just this year, you got the survey. I mean, yeah. It finally occurred to me that like maybe we should be intentional about talking to each other. Uh, so the stuff that I've heard is a lot of questions. Mm-hmm. Um, I think a lot of people are working off of this gigantic mess of a, of a compressed file that I put on in the blog post, which is totally uh, a mess to look at. So a lot of the most of the communication I've gotten has been your lesson plan refers to this mm. Excel document. Where do I find that? Um, just the basic how-to. Uh, not yet the, have you thought about doing this in this way? Or maybe it could be better. Um, so I'm really excited to, to build community around, around that. Um, yeah. Although I think, you know, to your point, the place, the place where my students got stuck was a very different place. Not the oh. James Shirley article, but, but the knapsack. Um, so I, I think there's something that's going to, that's bound to be very contextual about the same curriculum in different settings is going to play out really differently, but I'm still super excited to talk about those differences. What was, what was hard for them about the nap? And for anyone who doesn't know, I'll post, uh, unpacking the invisible knapsack, which I think everyone should have read in their credential program. It hmm. feels like a thing, but then I started to discover that not everyone has read that. Yeah, which blows my mind because I think I read it like six times through college. I uh, two things about it. One, I I read it every year when we do this unit, and it's still it, it's just so rich for me. Like it's one of those things that every time I come back to it, there's there's something I hadn't noticed last time. And second, I was listening to a podcast this year uh, 
that pointed out that maybe the word knapsack is something the students don't understand anymore. <laughs> like it, it dawned on me that I should articulate what a knapsack is. Because uh, if you don't get that, like why, what is this person talking about when she talks about a knapsack? It's very, I, uh, I know. I think about that. And I teach again, six, and in that class, 60% of them are probably language learners too. Oh yeah. Yeah. You just don't hear the kids talking about knapsacks these days. No. At least I don't. It never even occurred to me. Language yeah. is so important. <laughs> Dang. Um, so anyway, where did your kids get hung up on that? I, I think generally, generally it's the transition from out there to in here. You know, that, that when we talk, my students are mostly white, um, mostly come from uh, socioeconomic upper middle class or upper upper class. Um, and all have, you know, by virtue of going to a private school where they're all college bound, there's, there's just a ton of educational privilege that they're going to be carrying forward. So it's really easy for them in a way that's pleasant to me to articulate that the gap in, in black physicists is not the fault of the black community, you know, that there is something sort of systemic mm-hmm. uh, going on there. But as we start to talk about both how that if there's a system of disadvantage, that there might also be a system of advantage that's really hard for them because um, most of them are recipients of that. And um, yeah, again, like it's easier for them to think about there being a world out there that's flawed, but actually thinking about how that plays out at our school or even our, in our class or in their lives, um, that's really hard for them. Uh, so that that's around day four is where they start to, to get hung up. And that's where I think as I think about trying to make it better, it's thinking about better ways to help them make that connection for themselves. I'm not sure that there's a good way to say, Hey, yo bro, you have privilege. Yeah. (laughs) I'm not sure there's a positive way to spin that to kids. I think there is not like that is hard news to, to receive, but I think there's a difference between like making it feel good and making it hearable. You know, I I'm proud of the work that I'm doing as you know, I, I come down on the majority side of all the different spectra. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I'm glad to be, you know, positioned as an ally from where I stand. But but I'm still a, a white, heterosexual, cisgendered. Uh, it's complicated for me. Uh, yeah. Yeah, you carry a lot of that, too. Uh, one, of totally. the, one of the amazing things about this human stupidity article that I read was his, like, really deep anger over Jewish privilege. Yeah. And I was just like, I don't feel like, and I've read your entire curriculum. I don't feel like anywhere you talk about religion in your curriculum. No, I don't, but it's certainly, uh, that, that article is just the tip of the iceberg. There's a, there's a, a big jump, but, uh, there's a lot of really hateful stuff out there. And a lot of it centers around my Jewishness. Uh, and that feels super weird. Does but it's it? also, um, I don't know. I, how do I say this? Um, this is another way in which my school has been super supportive of me. They want to know, you know, am I, am I the recipient of any sort of anything that goes from intellectual critique into like really ugly hate speech. And it's all, it's all about that Jewishness. Um, but I think another way in which my privilege shows up is that it doesn't actually feel like a threat. You know, I, I don't feel worried. I don't feel like I'm in any danger. Um, but yeah, I, I've never felt 
quite as Jewish as when I was getting picked on in this way. Uh, that it, there was something you said before that that kind of loops back to you, which is uh, I'm starting to look uh, at my school. We have to do these three year sort of teacher teacher self-awareness projects. That, that's not the greatest description, but we have to choose a topic that we're going to work on for three years. Okay. Uh, and then the cycle repeats itself. And so I'm really excited. Sorry. That's lovely. I really like that. Yeah. <laughs> that's a yeah, cool it, way of doing self-reflection evaluation stuff. Mm-hmm. I think like, like any institutional structure, it certainly isn't perfect. Um, but it's been good to me and, and I like it. Um, and so I'm starting, I chose gender as my next sort mm-hmm. of lens and uh, asking my students, I put together a survey where I'm asking my students a bunch of questions around their experience and how gender ties in and asking them how well, how well, what is it, how good a job does our curriculum do of being diverse with respect to gender? Um, it's really notable that, that the boys are much more... Uh, are much less aware that there's an imbalance in gender than, than our students who identify as female are, um, which sort of ties back to that knapsack thing. Is That's the reason it's invisible is maybe your students are more aware that they don't show up in kids' books than, than I am aware that I do show up in kids' books. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't aware. I mean, like, I talk about this sort of journey into understanding privilege as for me only being maybe like how old am I 30 maybe six or seven years old Mm. like I didn't start this in high school like I'm hoping some of my kids will take this and continue it in college and get to really explore that in a way that I didn't because I didn't really understand it Mm -hmm. like I was probably in college the like worst kind of white feminist where like I knew about feminism and I was like super pro feminism, but did not understand intersectionality at all. Yeah. Like zero probably didn't know it was a word. Yeah. And that's where I feel like there's this, this, you know, this podcast and the work it represents feel like, um, I'm totally stumbling around in the, in, in the dark as to how to help kids do that you know i like the physics teaching i sort of know what worked for me and what didn't work for me and i got a much larger start than than i'm trying to have them have but it still feels like i'm excited for a future where there's more conversation among teachers about how to talk to students about about intersectionality or about race or about how those things show up in science and math and because it's i feel like it's exciting but i'm aware that i'm just kind of making it up as i go yeah. Um, and hopefully by making it up as you go, you're setting a foundation for someone else not to have to. Right. And right. particularly, like I can say that you have because I used. So you're going to start looking at gender for the next three years. Are you looking to incorporate that into this unit that you already do? You know, that's part of the feedback that I get every year from students is we should. Why are we just talking about race? And why are we just talking about black physicists in particular? Um yeah, it feels like a good problem to have, but I don't know how to make more space. You know, uh, maybe I think it's the answer. Uh, I think I think I definitely will be incorporating gender, but I don't know if it'll be in that curriculum. Um, as exciting as I, I love that that curriculum. I think it's a really good thing. I'm really proud of it. But I I think the other whatever thirty some weeks are places where there's still a lot more room for me to keep growing and changing because it looks 
pretty much like business as usual elsewhere. Mm-hmm. So if, if gender doesn't make it into that curriculum, it's definitely got some other places to go. Right. You got to push forward in not just one place. Right. Right. Yeah, that's not the message I want to be sending. That makes a ton of sense. So you talk a little bit about how math and physics are weak at this sort of island of social justice doesn't exist here, which is full of lies. Um, (laughs) Do you find that other teachers in your school are doing work like this in English and history and other places? Yes, for sure. Um, And I think that that's something that's changed about the school pretty significantly in the last five years is that there's a little bit of a tipping point. Um, Maybe just as our faculty changes and maybe as we keep working on our mission statement. Um, I think it's gone from little isolated pockets to maybe more departmental conversations. And um, we recently revamped our, our history sequence uh, so there's a lot more choice for kids and and the classes are now more specific and thematic uh, so they're able to orient them around there's a history through the lens of race class um, for example I think I could be getting that wrong Um, (laughs) but I think that's it sounds super cool uh, and that's on the heels of the English department doing something similar so those sorts of things are are happening Um, it feels like the direction we should be going, you know, like I, I tend to be a hand ringer and see things in terms of what we're not doing. Um, and, and that's the stuff that, that is both frustrating and energizing to me, but I do think there's a lot of stuff that we're doing really well. Okay. I'm going to shift gears cause we've been talking for an hour. So then I'm going to have to cut some okay. of this out. Um, I'm going to ask you these last few questions. Okay. Um, if you've listened before, I call this standardized test. Here we go. Do you have catchphrases? Uh, I think I do. I picked up from my art teaching friend, Rad. I say Rad a lot more than I think the average human does today. Um, and I, my favorite thing in the world is this habit the ninth graders have of raising their hand when I'm standing right there. Oh, my God. Uh, so I find that amazing. And I, uh, it's not a catchphrase, but like a catch action is I, I tend to high-five kids when they raise their hands and they don't see me coming. I think that's my favorite. I do that too. Like, cool, your hand was there. I thought you just wanted a high five. Let's do this. Uh, What was your favorite subject as a kid? I think it was school. Like, I just, I was a, I loved school. I loved everything about it. And there are certainly things that I look back on and I think like, oh, that would have been really hard for me as a teacher, that part about me as a student. Oh, God. Yeah, yeah. Like the fact that I never went to school when I didn't want to in high school. Oh, that's not at all me. This is so interesting. I was like such a straight arrow. And so it's easy for me now to say to kids, like, no, you should do what you want. But that was not the kid I was when I was in high school. See, I'm the opposite. I'm like, no, you have to come to school every day. (laughs) Ms. Schwartz, did you come to school every day in high school? No, not when I didn't want to. Um, Not to drag on my parents who were lovely and kept track of me and I got good grades and all that, but I just didn't go when I didn't want to. New thing you have learned recently? I'm re just this summer. I started. I picked up a guitar again, and I have never known how to play guitar. <laughs> but I've gone through like this is probably my third round of. I'm going to teach myself to play guitar. Uh, so I, I'm one day into that self improvement project. I don't know if that's a thing I've learned. No, that's that's how I feel about running. Mm. About three times a year, I decide I'm going to try running again. It's running time. It's the worst. 
Um, oh, uh, I just thought of an answer, which is like figuring out. I'm in the process of learning how to talk to other teachers, like how to be up in front of other teachers and mm. and both like be an advocate for a certain way of doing things that I really believe in, but also not not too preachy. Uh, I feel like I'm getting better every time I do it, but I'm still still learning that a lot. Yeah, that's a good one. Uh, what is a song or album you are listening to over and over recently? I The last two weeks of uh, the school year, I couldn't get Kanye West's Ultralight Beam out of my, out of Ultralight Beam. Uh, yes out of my head and I, I I don't like him as a human I, I'm sorry but I just like I either don't understand him or I think he's reprehensible I can't decide but man I that song I think I just don't get him yeah he's on another level um, but yeah that's the song that was like totally earwormed in my head okay I don't get him either he makes yeah. literally no sense but he seems real happy with his life so you do you bro yeah uh, Real happy. Like, right? really happy. Uh-huh. Good on him. Um, who is a person you think everyone should follow on Twitter? Uh, when I was first, like, Twittering, um, uh, there's an astrophysicist named Chanda Prescott-Weinstein. Uh, should I try no, to spell that? Okay. Chanda Prescott-Weinstein, uh, who is very... She's, she's a total radical, um, and it's been really illustrative for me to hear the perspective of someone who's like a dedicated scientist and really clear-eyed and outspoken about um, sort of the oppressive culture of science, both today and historically. So that's oh, been really cool for me. I misheard you. I thought you said John Day. Shonda. Shonda. Got it. I don't, yeah. Um, I found And her. sort of... Uh, Similarly, Sarah Tuttle is a, a white female astrophysicist who sort of thinks in the same way, and they're like my Batman and Robin on Twitter. Um, okay. So I would totally recommend them to other other social justice STEM folks. Cool. Yeah. She has a Shonda Prescott Weinstein has a um, very cool Black Girls Matter as her her thing her, her pin, whatever. Twitter picture. Twitter picture. That's the word I'm looking for. I'm smart. Uh, TV show that you have watched from start to finish the most times? Uh, I just started re-watching Arrested Development again. Okay. Um, and I think that, I don't think there are, there's anything that I've watched start to finish multiple times, but okay. um, I'm like 1.1 1. 1 of the way through that. Okay. And it's amazing. It's totally amazing. People who love Arrested Development love Arrested Development. Yeah. I've never, I don't know. I haven't tried yet. It's on my mm. list. Yeah. Uh, weirdest place you have run into a student? I ran into a student uh, at the front, lo- front row of a like, outdoor music festival seeing Major Lazer, and we were both like shirtless and drenched in sweat, and that was really weird. Yeah, so weird. Yes, so weird. Actually, uh, Hot yoga was another one. Also, shirtless and trench in sweat. But those are those are two settings in which I've I been around the student. I never want to run into kids when I'm wearing like less than professional clothing. Almost. That's right. That's right. And they totally don't want to run into you either. Not you, but like right. Me no, no, no. Into they us. Don't. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Boundaries. So many boundaries. Do. Um, what is something you're really good at? 
So this is the one that I like. I prepped for because I love this question, and I, I, every time I, every time I heard you ask somebody else, I would like think about it. And it was hard for me, and um, I was talking with a student about it, a student who I really connected with, and she said, "It's obvious. Like you're really good at email." So that's my. You're uh, really good at what makes someone really good at email? I think she would say, "I'm like, I never let things go unreplied to, and there's like always." Uh, I get back to people pretty quickly and, you know, maybe that's not the thing that I will write on my tombstone as what I was most proud of. Um, I think I'm really good at making up games. Like anytime there's a layover or like a a down moment, I like, I like inventing competitive fun things that everyone can participate in. So those, that, those are my answers. I like Uh, both of those. Yeah. Games and emails or emails about games. Not um, ultimate frisbee, of which you have many championships of. Yeah, I'm good at that too. I used to be a lot better. Um, okay, uh, what? When was the last time you saw a kid doing something they're really good at? Uh, this same student. Uh, our students have the option to. Uh, Seniors have the option of spending the last two weeks doing what's called a senior project. A lot of them do job shadowing type things and. Um, one student, uh, at the end of this time did, a. she does a lot of dance outside of school and had never performed at school. So she did an on-campus performance and, um, it was awesome. It was just totally beautiful. Uh, this was a student who's like throughout the year expressed a lot of nervousness about leaving, leaving home and to see her like so confident and comfortable on stage and totally in her element doing this thing at school that. She'd never felt comfortable or able or willing to do before. Um, yeah, that was rad. That was totally awesome. Uh, what would you be if you weren't a teacher? Uh, I don't know. I've always been a teacher, uh, like always since college. I think there's something about uh, I liked being a science undergrad. Like I think I probably would have gone to graduate school for for geophysics was my background. Um, so probably an academic just cause school is awesome. I love school. Uh, yeah, I think that's probably it or an accountant maybe. Do you tell the children that you're jealous of them, that they're going to college and they get to learn all the things? Yes. Me too. I totally do. I, totally do. I took a year off, uh, four or five years ago and, and went back to school and it was just like, so awesome. So, so awesome. Although I found that after having been a teacher, my after a year, I was like ready to get to choose what assignments I did again in a way that I wasn't as a student. Like that, being a student as a thirty-year-old is different than as a as a twenty-year-old. At least that was my experience. Yeah. But yeah, totally. I I am all jealous of them all the time. I tell them that I'm like, you get to go to college and take all these gen ed classes and learn all this sort of rad stuff that so you awesome. Even- um, what is your favorite iPad app or terrible game you play? I don't really have one. And that feel I feel like that makes me kind of a... Uh, you don't have a time waster? I do. It's email. <laughs> email uh, is your time. Okay. Uh, I don't really know. Uh, I just saw some kids playing uh, Color Switch. So okay. I downloaded that. But I think that's probably... Oh, like I spent a bunch of time playing two third. What is it called? 2048? Mm-hmm. When that was a thing, yeah, uh, I did too until I got good at it, and then I was like, "Meh." <laughs> I 
There's a model for the educational system. <laughs> yeah, I'm a real good grown-up. Uh, Refrance wants to know, could you survive the zombie apocalypse? Um, so this is another one that I, I thought a bunch about because it actually it came up in therapy for me, like totally before Refrance brought it up. But it's like a deeply, it's a deeply significant question. And my answer is um, no, I totally couldn't because it's, I work really hard at stuff and I'm like very good at wringing success out of tough situations until I stop thinking that it, there's any hope of success. And I think there's something about the zombie apocalypse that I find so, so deeply distressing that I would just like, my picture is like, I would just walk out there and be torn apart because it, it seems so depressing to be so hopeless. Yeah. So yeah, that feels really terrifying. You made that real serious. Yeah. Things got real, but, uh, <laughs> no, I think that's a totally reasonable answer. I just never she, thought about it in that way. When she asked that, I was like, how do you, I was just talking about this. This is amazing. Uh, so I am, I am deeply, I am deeply hopeful, like as a human. And I think like I would, I would not survive because of all the life skills you need, but okay. it would, for me, it wouldn't be lack of hope. It would be like, general ability to like survive without running water mm. <laughs> of which yeah. I think I have no ability to do that. I don't think I have that one either. <laughs> just like, I just like, I'm so like, I could, I'm just so not capable of things. Um, it's all about, it, maybe this is to come full circle. It's like, it's all about group work, right? Like right. you need to have like a cohesive group where people but have different schools. I don't know schools. what my skill is. <laughs> it's the optimism. It's totally, it's the like, hey guys, we're not going to die today. That's, uh, that's huge. Fair. I don't Maybe I need that role in my classroom more, the like, we're not going to die today role <laughs> in a group. Yes. I love that. The like, that hey too. dudes, it's going to be okay. So like, I get that everyone hates each other right now, but tomorrow will be better. Yeah. Yeah. I started asking my students at the end of the year to write down advice for next year's class uh -huh. and like looping that back to the next year's class. And I feel like it serves that purpose of like, yeah, you're going to hate Moses for some time, but he knows what he's doing. Or like this project seems like the worst, but it turns out to be the best. Um, do they we're call not going to die Moses? today. They do. Okay. Yeah. Is that a cultural thing at your school? It's open to the teacher. And I, you know, it's funny. I, in the last year, I feel like it starts to feel a little, um, pretentious isn't the right word but like i'm trying too hard to be moses but i i'm way more comfortable as moses than i am as as mr rifkin and i'm fortunate to be in a place where i can feel comfortable in a lot of ways so they do call me moses about once a year i think more people in my life call me miss schwartz than call me ann whoa it's weird right yeah there, there are weird. there are more people in, on my daily basis who call me miss schwartz than they call me ann huh but actually, to be honest, of my friend group, there are more people that call me Schwartz than call me Anne. Okay. Um, uh, Sadie wants to know, if you got a tattoo, what would it be? I, as you mentioned, uh, I played Ultimate in college, and we won a national championship. And there was a time when we were, some of us were talking about trying to get the team's logo tattooed and never quite pulled the trigger, but... I think if it was going to be something, it would be that just because that was a really significant group and significant event in my life at the time. Tina wants to know what is one thing you would change about your school? Uh, we've gotten, that's a really good question. Uh, I would make things less top down and more, more, 
bottom up, which I think also means more meetings, which I think not everybody loves, but I love, I love messy processes. My principal calls it, it flat. It would mm. be less top down and more flat. Yeah, I think that's right. I think there's a lot of power in that. Um, Lonnie wants to know if you had three months to live, what would you make sure you did? Oh my gosh. I hate this question. It's too intense for me. Uh, what would I make sure that I did? Um, this is so much like the zombie apocalypse. Right. It feels so deep. (laughs) Uh, you haven't heard it yet because the second half of Lonnie's was supposed to come out yesterday and I didn't do it. No, I haven't heard it yet. Uh, that first half is so good. Lonnie. Oh my God, Lonnie. I can't. Okay, sorry. Lottie wants to know. It's so intense. If you had three months to live, what would you make sure to do? Uh, I think, is it just me or does everyone have three months to live? I, uh, uh, okay, let's assume that I'm, it's just me who's going yeah, to die. Yeah, just you. Uh, I think I would try to just bring as much to myself and the people around me as possible not in some sort of like blaze of glory way but in a like that's that's what it's all about I think yeah um, I'm pretty sure I said spend time with family because I couldn't think of something yeah better yeah there's so many like sub questions like are other people gonna die do they know that I'm gonna die like if everyone's uh, going to die then we're then I'm not doing anything because no totally one's different making good choices right that's right that's right we're all getting tattoos <laughs> No one's doing tattoos anymore. Oh, that's a good call. Like, um, my feeling, like, is everyone's going to die. People are like, well, I'm going to this other country. And I'm like, who the few things flying the planes? Yeah, that's right. The Not infrastructure the... falls apart when everyone's going to die. Yeah. And then one, two, zombie apocalypse. Uh, I, you know what's weird about that question is hmm. it's so intense, but it's like everybody is going to, there is a point where everyone like there's a point, there's a day where I'll have three three months to live, and I may or may not know it, but it's not like uh, it's not the same as a zombie apocalypse because it's actually going to happen. I think that's what retirement is supposed to be. Hmm. Like the idea of you've done all your work, you've saved enough money, now live your life in the best way you possibly can. Yeah, I feel I I just finished a school year where I feel I felt super lucky to be a teacher not because it was like a great year not because the kids were unusually great i just felt like that part of my brain was like more sensitive this year um but i cannot wait to retire like i love 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 my job but i find it really hard not to work so hard Mm -hmm. at it and there's there's not a great middle ground for me you know like if i'm going to be doing it i'm going to be doing it real hard uh so retirement seems like this fantasy land where I can stop trying so hard. Um, do you have a question that you want to add to the end of this? I like talking about how awesome kids are. Yeah. So it's some version of like, you kind of asked it, like what's something you got to see a student do, but I just, whenever we have uh, potentially, you know, people applying for new positions come to school. That's my sort of go-to question is, what do you like about kids? Um, Mm. So. And what do you like about kids? I like, so I work with high schoolers. Mm -hmm. Um, I like how one of the ways that I feel lucky in my job as a teacher is I feel like they trust me and I'm able to have really 
uh, I like how uh, unarmored kids are. Mm-hmm. Like they, they let me in in a way that I really appreciate. And I just feel like the time I spend with them where we're talking about like how to be a person in the world feels like the greatest thing in the world. So I like the kids enable that to happen in a way that it, it's harder with adults. Um, I don't like how that sounds coming out of my no, mouth, no, no, but I no, think no. it's true. I totally feel that. Uh, the kids always ask why I'm a teacher and I say, cause I like kids more than I like adults. Because yes. when kids screw up, I feel like they're infinite blobs of possibility. And when adults screw up, I'm like, why are you Ugh. still screwing up? You're an adult. That's right. That's totally right. Yep. <laughs> Which is unfair because adults screw up all the time. They do. They do. But that's another version where I feel like it's a lot easier for me as a teacher to tell, you know, I said before that there are parts of Moses as a student that would have been hard for me as Moses as a teacher. Right. Same thing. Like, it's easy for me to say, oh, group work. Like, just work out your differences. You can do it. And that's a lot harder when I tell myself to do that. Yeah. Yep. All right. Last question. Um, and I don't know how you answer this in the summer, but we're going to ask it anyway. Um, what oh, yeah. is the best thing you did today or this week or at the end of the school year? However you want to take that. Uh, the best thing I did today mm-hmm. so far. I mean, th- this has been awesome. It's really been a blast talking to you. Yay. Uh, the best thing I did uh, today was I cashed in, you know, Seattle is full of coffee shops and there's one like two blocks, four blocks from me. Uh, and they've got like a punch card. And so I cashed in a punch card that I've been slowly accumulating. And um, I don't often drink coffee, but when I do, it's like, it's a treat yourself moment. So that was my, that was my big treat yourself. What did you order? Did you order fancy coffee? I did order fancy coffee. Uh, and I, I feel a little bit bad about it because like I built up that punch card by getting like tea and drip coffee, but I got a, a big mocha with hazelnut and skim milk. I don't think they care. I, they didn't. In fact, they were like openly congratulatory. Like, yeah, look at you cashing in your punch card. So I appreciated that. They gave me permission to, to have an unvarnished experience. I like that they were congratulating you on your punch card. Yeah. You're making me like the people of Seattle. Yeah, I, do. I like them a lot. It, you know, it's easy to make fun of, but I, uh, I was an East Coaster my whole life until I moved out here, and I'm really happy here. Thank you for talking to me. This has been awesome, truly. Thank you for talking to me. Happy 3rd of July, friends! We always used to celebrate 3rd of July. Uh, when I worked at the Y, we would have an Every Country But America party, which, looking back, ended up always being a little bit racist. Because that's what happens when you're 21 and an idiot, which I was. You actually, I had to cut the part in the podcast where we talked a little bit about how in college I was probably the worst kind of feminist, the white kind who doesn't understand intersectionality or any of that. But don't worry, I'm sure in some other podcast I will out myself as a terrible feminist and ally. But for today, I'm going to continue to try to do the work. Uh, I think on the NPR Code Switch podcast, they referred to it as working towards, no, the journey towards wokeness. I'm on my journey towards wokeness. Uh, I hope that your 4th of July is rad. Talk to you on the next episode. Doodle doo doo doo.